Let's read from Revelation chapter 11. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angels stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall be tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy one thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as oft as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people of the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascend up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men, seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead. And they shall be judged, and thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them that destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in the temple the ark of his testimony. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this great revelation that you've given us uh, through the vision you gave to John. You had him write it down and share with us uh, these magnificent visions that tell us of what's to, yet to come in the last days. And Father, we, we look forward to the day when you come and take rule again over your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 11. We've been given uh, great visions of the heavenly scene, and we had the seven trumpets, and with each of the seven trumpets came great. We saw the first four trumpets and the judgments that came there, and then the last three, they said, would be worse than the, than the first four, and then we've gone through uh, five and six, and then this is kind of a pause right before the seventh comes, and so that we can see this seventh, and it starts off Revelation 11, and it was given me to John, a reed like unto a rod. Okay, so John is participating in this vision. So he sees this heavenly vision, but they gave him a measuring rod. Okay, this is a rod used for a surveyor. He's going to measure out the dimensions of the temple with it. Much like in Ezekiel, remember how Ezekiel was given that, and the angel had a rod and he measured the different dimensions of the temple there in Jerusalem. And an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. So why is he measuring it? Well, it doesn't tell us the measurements, so that's not the significant thing. Um, God is surveying it because it belongs to him. Okay, he, he's, he's coming to take control again over this earth, and he said, okay, measure the temple out and the worshipers. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out. Measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And in the holy city they shall tread underfoot forty and two months. So he said, okay, measure the temple, okay, the temple itself. But you remember the temple, you, you've got the temple, you've got the holy of holies. Then right outside that you've got the holy place that only the priests could come in. And that's where the, the, lamp stand, where the lamps are. And that's where the showbread is. That's where the altar of incense is in that. Then outside of that, you have the wash basins and you have the brazen altar. You have the big uh, altar where they would burn the sacrifices and this, that. There was that courtyard. But then there was an outer courtyard, which was called the court of the Gentiles. Okay, That court, there was a sign there posted saying, you know, Gentiles do not pass this point under penalty of death. The Jews actually had permission under Rome. You know, they didn't have the permission to do the death penalty, but they did have permission to put people, if a Gentile were to go further in, they could execute them. That was just for the Jews only. So he said, leave that Gentile court out, okay, because that has been given over. It's not under God's direct control at this point. I mean, everything's under God's control, but he had given it over to the Gentiles, okay. Well, um, right now... Jerusalem is pretty much given over to the Gentiles, is it not? The Temple Mount, okay. Um, was it Menachem Begin took over the Temple Mount? The paratroopers dove in there and took over the Temple Mount, and it was such an emotional event for the Jews because they now had possession again of the Temple Mount. That they cried. These hardened soldiers were standing on the Temple Mount just crying because they were there. But then Menachem Begin just gave it over uh, to the Arabs to control. He gave it over to Jordan, and Jordan gave it over to 
Palestinian Liberation Army and all this. And so basically that Temple Mount area, even though it's properly it's Jewish territory, it's under the state of Israel, it is under the practical control of the Arabs. Okay? And you see the pictures. What's the dominant thing you see there? The Dome of the Rock, right? The big golden, uh, big golden dome you see there. And there's a separate mosque that's there and uh, all this. And boy, if anybody does anything, it gets serious conflict comes up. So that, that is a very contested area, a very hot area. So the Gentiles are still, even though Israel has control of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount is still trod underfoot of the Gentiles. It just, it is at this point. So it's going to be amazing for that to come back. But notice, he said, they, they shall tread it underfoot for 40 and two months. Okay, we're going to keep hearing that figure. 42 months is how long? Well, 12 months in a year, right? So three years is 36 months, and six more months is 42 months. What's the significance? Well, the tribulation period is supposed to be, the whole tribulation period is how long? Seven years, right? But at the midpoint of the tribulation, things change. Okay? The Antichrist has come to power and he makes a peace treaty. It's supposed to make everybody happy. Apparently, he even lets the Jews rebuild their temple. Right? The Jews are counting on that. They're, they're ready. They have gathered all the materials they need. They're always searching for a red heifer that they can use to, uh, to anoint... Uh, to prepare to anoint a new priest, a high priest. Uh, they have all the vessels they need to do it. They're ready. There's a society there. They have all the, everything they need. They're ready to go. They want to build that temple. But right now, it's politically impractical to do so. Okay? But who knows? So, But halfway through, then things are going to change. The Antichrist is going to betray the Jews and turn against them, and all this trouble starts, all this persecution, it's going to be difficult. So God said, for now, measure the temple. That's mine, but the outer courtyard still belongs to the Gentiles. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Okay, So three and a half years into the tribulation is going to be really great tribulation. Now we've seen all kinds of things already happen, right? We've seen... Uh, mountains falling into the sea. We've seen a uh, quarter of the population of the world killed. We've seen, well, really, a total over half the population of the world because we had a third and a quarter and then uh, on and on. So it's pretty tremendous. But now the Antichrist is going to be in power and he's going to do everything he can to eliminate all Jews and all Christians. Okay. Well, that's not unheard of, is it? What, what, what are the Muslims' goal to do right now? Well, they even march in this country, and what do they say? From the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Okay? They're not talking about the Gaza Strip. Okay? The Gaza Strip was already free in the sense it was free from Israel's control. Israel just put a fence around it and said, okay, you guys stay there. They let a lot of people come across to be day laborers and that sort of thing. But they let the people vote, and the people voted in Hamas to be their leaders. Well, that's not very good freedom, but, that's what, but that was under Palestinian control. Okay? That's not what they're talking about. From the river, that's the Jordan River. That's the eastern border of Israel. To the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea. That's the western border of Israel. 
They want nothing short of wiping Israel off the map. It's already, it's already wiped off the Arab maps. It's not there. The latest Chinese maps do not show Israel either. They've sided with that. And unfortunately, many people in our country somehow think that the Palestinians, Hamas in particular, are the heroes of this story. Sorry, to me, baby killers are never heroes. They still hold over 100 hostages, if they're alive. Okay. Um, but we've tried to make heroes out of them. I can't even understand that. But that's what's going on. So it's being trod underfoot, destroyed by the Gentiles. But the Antichrist himself is going to ramp it up big time when he's there. So God is going to allow this serious persecution. Okay. From this point, many people say that the rapture has already happened because we don't hear about the church in this portion of Revelation. We've seen the martyrs in heaven. We've been seeing that. We don't hear about the church here. But we know for sure God does not leave himself without a witness. And in particular, he sends these two witnesses. Okay? The word for witness is martyr. The two are intimately associated because the first Christian witnesses were the first Christian martyrs. So now he's going to send his two witnesses, same word, martyr, and they shall prophesy 1,200 threescore days. Okay? Again, the same number. Now he's saying days instead of months. 36 months, 1,260 days. Uh, all prophetic years are 360 days long. Okay? Not 365 and a quarter and a little bit. Okay? <laughs> we do now. But uh, that's the way the Jewish calendar is. It's a lunar calendar, right? Made up of 12 30-day months. 360 days. When they needed to, they threw in an extra month, okay, to even it out. But uh, 360 days times three years plus uh, six more months makes 1,260 days, 1,260 days, still the three and a half years. And how are they, how do they come? Are they clothed in white raiment and they shine? No, they come in mourning clothes. They come wearing sackcloth, the old rough cloth, you know, um, sackcloth. That's, that sackcloth is what you put on when you mourn for your sins, okay? And they're mourning for the sins of the world. So these prophets are coming, and they're revealing the sin of the world. They're telling it like it is, okay? People don't like that. People don't like to hear their sin called sin. They don't like it. I heard a speech from Tucker Carlson, and he was saying, why does the left hate former President Trump so much? He said, they're not really afraid of what he's going to do. They're afraid of what he's going to say. They're afraid he's going to tell the truth about what really goes on in Washington, and that's got them scared to death because there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington that shouldn't be going on. And the more we see, the more true. I mean, now we see all this stuff with the, the, the DA in uh, Georgia in the Trump case. Well, I don't know if they've got anything against President Trump, but they got a lot of stuff against her. When you start seeing what's going on behind the scenes, there's so much corruption going on. There's corruption, bribery, nepotism, whatever going on. And uh, it, it's, it's just it's sickening. I think they're very afraid that their deeds will be shown because there's so much wickedness going on that would be a shock even to us in this present state. 
But they're, they're there, they're witnesses, and God is going to make sure that there's a witness, even in the very worst reign of the Antichrist, the very worst of the tribulation, the worst time, there's still a witness to the very end. So who are these two witnesses? Well, it doesn't tell us. So it's open. People have different ideas. Most people um, tend to think it's Moses and Elijah. Well, why? Well, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? With Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to the Mount, and he was transfigured before them. Who came and, and had a conversation with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. I want to know how they knew who it was. Okay. Name tags? <laughs> they had their name tags on. Maybe heavenly robes have name tags on them. I don't know. But they, they, they recognize them. That's got to be Moses. That's got to be Elijah. They knew right off who it was. Okay. Uh, so it could be. You know, if this is a preview of Christ's coming, he was, it was definitely Moses and Elijah there. I kind of wonder if it's not Enoch and Elijah. Okay? They say, well, Moses and Elijah, that's the law and the prophets. Okay, I understand. We don't know much about Enoch. We don't think about him a lot. But what we do know is that Enoch didn't die. Okay. Now, Moses did die. Mysteriously somewhat, he went up on a mountain, and uh, that's where he went to die, and he died there. And we know that there was a conflict over his body because Michael, the archangel, strove with Satan in an argument over Moses' body. So God took care of that Moses' body, but Moses did die. But Enoch did not. It said in Genesis 5, 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay? So he didn't. Then a little bit more, Jude, verse 14, tells us, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. So Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied to the pre-flood world. Okay? The world that was so bad that God destroyed everybody except for eight people. Okay? So Enoch was a mighty prophet in that day, and he walked with God. So was that, and then Elijah, we know that uh, Elijah was taken to heaven by a chariot of fire. Elisha saw him go, okay? So he didn't kill over dead with a heart attack. He was swept up to heaven, okay? So they're the only two unique ones that I know of that didn't die. And I wonder, I mean, God can do what he wants, but uh, it does say it is for man once to die and then the judgment. And for some reason, he preserved these two men without death. Okay? Now, there's exceptions. Lazarus died twice. Okay. I don't know if that's a privilege or not. Okay. But he did. So I, I always think of this as Enoch and Moses. Give us a chance to get to know Enoch a little better. So he says, okay, who are these two witnesses? He said, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. What is he talking about? The two olive trees? What? He didn't tell us. He didn't explain that, did he? Didn't have to. You're supposed to know your Bible. Okay. He assumes he's already written it down. You're supposed to know that, right? 
Did we do, do that to you in, in class, Jared? Your professor ever assume you already read the chapter and you should know that? I shouldn't have to explain it. And he goes on from there. He assumes you already read that chapter. Well, even though I know better, I still assume that sometimes. <laughs> but Zechariah, okay? Not everybody's daily devotional, I understand. I don't think you're going to find it in our daily bread or something like that. But it's Scripture. There in chapter 4, he said, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees? Well, that's what we want to know, isn't it? There's the two witnesses. So what are these two olive trees? There it is. Upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the temple. We're talking about the holy place. We're talking about the, the candlestick there, right, that is lit. And remember, that's, that's what Hanukkah is all about. The specially prepared oil was supposed to run out and it kept burning and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's not in Scripture. But the candlesticks were there. And they were olive oil burning lamps. So what do they need to burn? They need olive oil. Okay? So you need a supply. Well, the oil always represents the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you can't get any better supply than that than you can have an olive tree right there. Okay, so you have olive trees, and they're actually portrayed with pipes feeding these lamps. Okay, so God has a continuous flow there. Okay, so the Spirit is feeding these lamps. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That's who these two witnesses are. Okay, these are two olive trees. And the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So they're anointed ones from before God. Well, if it's Enoch and Elijah, that's what you've got. They've been standing before God. And now God has sends them to earth to give his message. To be a witness on this earth in the darkest of all possible times. And if any man will hurt them, oh, you bet somebody's trying to hurt them. Everybody's trying to hurt them. Okay? They're standing against the whole world. They can't be confident. They're staying there because Satan is opposing them with everything he's got. Everybody's out to stop them. But if any man wants to hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man would hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So God has given them a good defense, defense mechanism. They're like fire-breathing dragons, okay? You can't hurt them. They're going to proclaim the word of God, and if you try to stop them, they can devour you with fire out of their mouths. And that sounds a lot like Elijah, doesn't it? Yeah. I said, Second Kings 1, And Elijah answered and said unto the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Okay, so they can't defeat these witnesses because God is going to have a witness before the world, no matter what. So he makes sure his witnesses can finish their mission. He's going to protect them however he has to. These have power to shut heaven, no rain, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. How long is that? Three and a half years. That's about like in the days of Elijah, right? And Ahab, no rain, three and a half years. And the country was in a great famine, so much that Ahab was out walking around looking for a little oasis, something where he could keep the horses alive. And they have powers over waters to turn them to blood. Well, that sounds like Moses. 
they could turn the water. So even the water that's already there, the lakes and wells and things, can be turned to undrinkable. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Again, much like Moses. So it's the judgment of God is going to come. So they're bringing great judgments upon the earth. Why? For meanness? Revenge? No. To get their attention, to call them to repentance. Okay, sometimes we're awfully stubborn. It takes a lot to turn us. But their witness will be there, the witness of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And when they shall have finished their testimony, not when they couldn't hold out any longer, not when the enemies got so strong they couldn't stop them, but when they finish their testimony, they're going to finish what God has sent them to do. They are going to testify before the earth of God's salvation and of the earth's sin. And the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay, We're going to read more about the beast later in Revelation. But this is the beast. This is Satan and the Antichrist that come and fight against God. And so the beast is going to come, says, And the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life for the foundation of the world, but they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So Satan is going to have his fake Christ, his antichrist, the one who looks like he's dead and resurrected from the dead. He's going to have him there, and he is going to be able finally to defeat the two witnesses. Well, how do the people react to this? And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Well, where is that? Well, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt which also our Lord was crucified. Okay, No mystery here. He's talking about Jerusalem. We know that's where Christ was crucified. He's saying that they're finally going to kill these two witnesses and they're going to leave their dead bodies lying in the street. That's not very sanitary, is he? Not very nice. That, that, that's the worst dishonor you can do to someone is just leave their dead body there in the streets to be devoured by animals. Okay. Uh, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. I think that would be pretty gross. right? And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So they're not happy with these guys. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. They're going to be so happy. And they're going to make merry and shall send gifts one to another because the two prophets who tormented them that dwell on the earth. So they're going to declare it Christmas. When these two die and their dead bodies are laying in the streets, they're going to send presents to each other. Okay? Can you imagine getting a dead prophet card, you know, in the mail from somebody saying, oh, happy dead prophet day. You know, this is going to be, you know, hopefully it doesn't have a picture. It probably has their picture on it. You know, it's like, this is going to be gross. These people are so corrupt and so awful. They're celebrating the death of these two prophets from God. Why? Because they don't want to hear about their own sin. Did it do anything about their own sin? No, they just weren't hearing about it anymore. Isn't that the way our world is today? If you say anything they don't like, you get canceled. We know if you said anything against the line, we know that Dr. Fauci and others in our government, the FBI, went to Facebook and Twitter and things like that and had them block anything that was against whatever the standard storyline was. Anybody that disagreed with it was canceled. You're gone. 
Okay, That's the way sinners react to the truth of their sins. They don't want to hear it. So you're canceled. Okay, John MacArthur has stirred things up quite a bit because he said that Martin Luther King was not a Christian. That's not a popular thing to say. But he gave reasons for it. He just looked at his lifestyle and said the man was grossly immoral, had a mistress and this and that. He was immoral. He was not living like a Christian. Therefore, he's not judging. He's looking at his fruit. And the fruit was... Now, that's not popular because he's such a popular person. Now, we kicked... uh, We made... uh, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington share a holiday, and it's not a national holiday. But we made Martin Luther King Day a national holiday. We made Juneteenth a national holiday, too. But we can't celebrate Washington's birthday. Okay. You get canceled. They're trying to cancel. What did they do? They went around in the riots, and they tore down statues of Washington and other historic figures because they might have been slaveholders or something like that. Okay. So if you don't fit the current theme, you get canceled. Well, they finally canceled the two martyrs. It was tough because these guys fought back. But once they could, once their message was finished, I assume they quit destroying their enemies with fire, then they were defeated and killed. So now people are celebrating like it's Christmas. They're putting up lights and blow up yard decorations and setting off fireworks and they're having a big party. They're sending gifts to all their friends going, woohoo, they're gone. They've tormented us so. It's been terrible. But they didn't repent. What did Jesus say? And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Well, Jesus did that. Did that persuade the lost world? No. It's the greatest possible proof. People keep saying, well, you know, if you want me to believe that there's really a God, then I need proof. Well, I would think the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has been called the best attested event of ancient history, is proof in God, isn't it? He was proven dead by execution experts. He was proven alive by over 500 witnesses. Eyewitnesses, hands-on witnesses. Okay, That proves that what God said is true. That proves that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But if you won't hear it, you won't hear the prophets, you won't hear the law, you won't hear the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, then you won't hear it. That's why... I can't vote for anybody who supports abortion. They're just directly in violation of the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not kill. And certainly an unborn baby is about as innocent as you can, helpless as you can get. Okay? So um, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't vote for anybody that supports that. And uh, I hate to lump a whole party into one category, but the Democratic Party has done everything they can to make abortion their platform. It's in their platform. They have basically kicked out any candidates that are not pro-abortion. Can you find any Democratic candidates that are not pro-abortion? No. The best they can do in Texas, they just run as Republicans because the Democrats won't even have them, okay, at all. 
So no matter what you think about economics and how, th how we should run the country in that way, on the moral issues, the Democratic Party has made it very clear where they stand on that. And so um, if they won't hear Moses, who wrote the Ten Commandments down? Well, God actually wrote them down. Moses carried them down. Thou shalt not kill. If they won't hear that, then they're not even going to believe in Jesus Christ, even though he rose from the dead. And after three days and a half, there we go with three and a half again. This time it's just days, more symbolic. So they lay there for three and a half days. That's a long time for a dead body to lay out in the open. Okay. So you remember Lazarus had been in the grave four days. And they said, oh, don't open the grave. He stinketh, you know. Well, three and a half days out, not even in a tomb, laying out in the open would be pretty bad. It's pretty clear they were dead, okay? They weren't just knocked out by getting hit in the head with a rock, okay? They were dead. But the spirit of life from God entered into them, right? That's where the spirit of life came from to begin with, right? And Adam breathed the spirit into his nostrils of Adam, entered into them, and they stood up on their feet, okay? Wow, that'd shake you up. These two corpses have been laying there for three and a half days. Don't know what they look like. Spirit of life. I'm assuming he restored their flesh at this point. At least I prefer to envision it that way. And they stand up, but who knows? <laughs> On their feet. And great fear fell upon them which saw them. Zombies! <laughs> you know, what they think. Okay. Because they saw, they knew these guys were dead. And these were mighty prophets that stopped the rain, destroyed people with fire, turned waters to blood. I mean, they had been a serious force to deal with. And so they all stood up. So witnesses saw them, that they were really alive. This was no hoax. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Well, there's a small rapture anyway. Right then and there, those two said, come back to heaven where you belong. And they've done their job. They spent their three and a half years testifying to the sins of the world and the salvation of God. And God said, come back. So his witness is gone. I think at this point, there is no witness left on the earth because we're about to hit the very end. So we're not the end of Revelation yet. That's okay because the book kind of goes back and covers in detail from different perspectives things that happen. This is the seventh trumpet. This is the end part. So the witnesses are now gone from the earth. And the same hour was there a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell. He's talking about Jerusalem. Okay, So the walls of Jerusalem, the buildings, this and that, 10% of it all falls down. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. Okay, So it's not worldwide. It's not as big as the millions that have died in previous uh, judgments, but here, right there in Jerusalem, right where these uh, martyrs have been taken back to heaven, 10% of the city fell and 7,000 men died. And the remnant were affrighted. Okay, They're getting scared. It's starting to get through to them. They put up with these, they saw these great miracles, heard the testimony, and then denied them. They rejoiced when they were dead. But when this, after they raise to heaven, the earthquake comes, 7,000 die, now they're afraid. 
The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. They're starting to fear God right there in Jerusalem. And they gave glory to the God of heaven. I think at this point, with the Jews there in Jerusalem, turned back to God. They finally realized this is the real God of heaven. This is who we've been denying. And they were afraid not to, and they did. They turned back to him at that point. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Say, whoa, we're not even quite done here, okay? Because we're just now really getting to the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Okay, all these things have happened, and so the end is coming quickly now. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, they're rejoicing. Why? Well, did we not rejoice when uh, Victory in Europe Day? Okay, that's where you see all the pictures from, you know, the ticker tape parades in New York and the soldier kissing the nurse and all these things we see. People were rejoicing because Hitler had been defeated. Well, Satan has been defeated and God has come back and taken control of this earth. It's time to celebrate. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God in their seats, they fell on their faces and worshipped God. So we're back looking in heaven and we see them worshipping again, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord, God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Okay, God is taking control of the earth again. It's been a great war, left much devastation, but it's under God's control Full control once again. And the nations were angry. They didn't like it. And thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Okay, so remember the martyrs that were under the altar in heaven. And they were crying, Lord, when are you going to put an end to this? When are you going to judge those that have done these horrible things? And he said, be patient until all the rest of your brethren are gathered up. Well, he gathered up those last two martyrs. And he said, okay, now it's time. It's time to judge the wicked, reward the righteous. That's coming up to the final judgment. And he said he's going to judge them that destroy the earth. That's not a climate change thing. He's not talking about pollution and global warming, and he's not going to judge cows for releasing uh, methane emissions and this and that. People that pollute the earth with their sin. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testimony, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Okay, so... This is the wrap-up. That This kind of just skimmed over all these events. It's going to go back and give us more details and talk about this. But the seventh trumpet, when it ends, God's going to say, okay, that's it. I take over. It's time for the judgment seat. They bring to the great white throne judgment, and God's going to judge according to what's written in the books and this and that. All that judgment is going to come. And so here, he opens up the temple that is in heaven. Well, the temple in heaven, it's wherever God dwells, is the temple. But this looks to John like the temple on earth. 
It has a holy of holies. And guess what? He just opened the holy of holies. Well, that never happened, right? Because when, when it first started as the tabernacle in the wilderness, what were the, what were the laws? Okay? Only the high priest, once a year, after the sacrifices and the blood and all that, in his special high priestly garments, could come in to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was a very holy thing and separated. And when they had to pick it up and move, what did they do? They had to first, the priests, sons of Aaron, first had to come in and cover everything. They had to put a cover over the Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't see it. Cover over the... Uh, the incense altar, cover over the table of showbread, cover over the lampstands, and they covered it all up. Then the Levites could come in and grab the poles and pick it up to carry it, to move it to their next destination. Okay? It was never seen. Until when? Until Christ died on the cross. When Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross, said, It is finished. What happened? That thick tapestry that covered the veil that covered in the temple there was torn from top to bottom. Opened it wide up and you could see the Ark of the Covenant. And there was an earthquake. And the dead came out of the graves and all these things happened. That happened with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ at that point had defeated Satan. At that point he had opened up the way into heaven through his blood. And all the way to this day, and until he comes again, that is the way that all can come to Jesus Christ. We come through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come back and be restored to fellowship with God. We repent of ourselves and our sin. And whether Jew or Gentile, that's the way back to God. So now here at the very end, he brings this judgment. He's had his witnesses proclaim his gospel. And then after he takes them back to heaven... John sees a vision of that same Holy of Holies in heaven, the Holy of Holies, where God dwells, opened up, where we can see what the Ark of the Covenant, which contains the law of God, the tablets, the Ten Commandments there and there. God's law is there, and it's opened up. And then you see the same, you see thunderings and earthquakes and this and that. It's time to come to God. What do they say in the old Westerns, you know, when they... They get out there and about to have the gunfighter. Why do they tell somebody, prepare to meet your maker? That used to be what we thought. That used to be how uh, the death penalty worked. I'm not a fan of the way we do the death penalty now. We have people on death row for years and years, and we have trials and trials, and we drag it out. And all the way to the very last minute, that uh, convicted murderer, all, all you get the death penalty for these days, um, is hoping the governor's going to pardon him right to the last second. Okay, I don't like it that they do it by an injection and this and that. I don't think that's the way to go. Doctors are scary enough, you know, on them killing you. Um, they take you in there, strap you down to the gurney, and to the last minute, the governor could give him a pardon. You know, they'll set a time, you know, 11.59 p.m. on this date. And until that last second, he's sitting there hoping that the governor's going to pardon him. He doesn't need to be looking to the governor. I think there needs to be, I wish we had a much speedier trial and a much speedier execution, but I think that he should be given a period of time. Three days, 
something like that. Give him a Bible and a preacher and let him prepare. And, and they have to say, at that point, the governor has up to that point to pardon him. But three days in, that's it. No pardons allowed. Why? Because that's the best opportunity for that prisoner to repent. Okay? I know we never want to execute someone who's not guilty. And I believe it is exceedingly rare, but it has probably happened a few times. But that's not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is that man, guilty or not, most likely guilty, is going to have to meet eternity. He doesn't need to be thinking about, is the governor going to spare me? He needs to be like the thief on the cross. Say, Lord, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. That's what that that person on death row needs to be facing. He needs a chance to get right with his maker. I think we're doing him a disservice by doing it that way. But we're all going to meet our maker one way or the other. So he's going to come and he's going to judge. This isn't the passage about when he opens the books and the judgment that comes later. But this is the picture of it. His holy temple is opened. All the people are going to be brought before him and judged. That's it. That's what we're seeing here in Revelation. The end has come. We've come through the witnesses. There are no more opportunities to get saved after this. That's it. Today is the day of salvation. We should all take the opportunity when it's presented. Never put it off. Never resist the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. We want to be right so that we can stand before God. None of us are good enough? Absolutely. That's a story that the world doesn't understand. We're busy trying to convince ourselves that we're good enough, but we know better than that. We all know we're guilty. Watch a few of Ray Comfort's videos, and they all profess that they're a good person, they're good enough to go to heaven. But you bring up a few of the Ten Commandments, about four of them, and they all admit to guilt. And then he says, okay, if we were to be judged by God's law, would you go to heaven or hell? They say hell, because I don't meet up to God's standards. Well, you don't have a chance. You can't meet up to God's standards, but guess who did? Jesus Christ. And we can plead the blood of Jesus Christ. If we'll turn to Jesus Christ now, while while we have the opportunity, turn to Jesus Christ, then we'll be covered by His blood. We'll be clothed in His righteousness. When we come to the judgment day, all our sins will be blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can stand before God and we'll get rewards instead of our just deserts. Now's the time to make that right.